Welcome in to the Paul Kuharski Podcast, part of 440 Sports. I'm Paul Kuharski of paulkuharski.com. I've fulfilled my obligation to mention my name three times, and we are off and running. Welcome in. Um, if you're not a member of the site, this is the front door welcoming you in to paulkuharski.com. Fourth mention where you should be a member for just $5.99 a month, or you could get 12 months for the price of 11 a great value. And I will set about showing you why in what we discuss here today. Mike Vrabel, uh, talking at the Senior Bowl this week, uh, gave Jim Wyatt a little bit of an update about uh, where he is with the two – slash three coaching jobs that he's got open offensive coordinator, obviously the biggest offensive line will come with that and uh, cornerbacks still in play. Vrabel said, I feel good about where we're at and having a plan for multiple scenarios. I've enjoyed meeting with a lot of different coaches and hearing ideas and visions, and I'm trying to figure out what's best for us. It will happen when the time is right and when the opportunity is there. So let's break that down a little bit. Multiple scenarios, that sounds like a Chris Harris issue, um, having a plan for multiple scenarios. So Harris is in line to become Tennessee's cornerback coach slash defensive passing game coordinator. January 21st, Tom Pelissero of NFL Network said, The Titans plan to hire him, but he remains in play for defensive coordinator jobs too. Well, the 49ers have requested permission to talk to him still from the Washington Commanders, who are technically still his employer, um, to replace D'Amico Ryans, who has been their defensive coordinator before he just got hired by the Houston Texans as their head coach. Um, So if Chris Harris were to get the 49ers defensive coordinator job, that's a better job, obviously, than Mike Vrabel's able to offer Chris Harris here in Nashville. He would uh, likely lose Chris Harris to that and then need to go to his plan B for cornerbacks coach. Um, Chris Harris's primary competition in uh, San Francisco to replace D'Amico Ryans is Steve Wilkes, um, a very good candidate who just lost out um, in Carolina to Frank Reich for the head head coaching um, position uh, of the Panthers. So um, now uh, Harris was also in consideration for secondary coach slash passing game coordinator with the Bears. They've filled that job with John Hoke, um, secondary coach better than cornerback coach in conjunction with passing game coordinator. Don't know um, if if that would have been in any way more attractive to him. Washington was fourth in pass defense um, and second best in completion percentage against quarterbacks completed 59.9% under 60%. Very impressive. That's obviously a combination of pass rush and coverage and all of that. But it is something that uh, goes on Chris Harris's resume, certainly that he was a part of. And um, 
you know, he's gotten uh, strong reviews from a lot of people who have watched him work up close. I'm going to talk a little bit about strong reviews for <clears throat> all of these coaches being hired in a little bit. Going back to break down more of what Vrabel had to say, um, he also said something about when the time is right and when the opportunity is there. That seems to me to be talking to the offensive coordinator position, which would seem to be unavailable right now. We know that he asked permission to talk to two members of the Kansas City Chiefs staff. We don't know for sure if he spoke to them while the Chiefs were on their bye week, uh, but he would have been allowed to if, if things were done in a timely fashion. Talk to Matt Nagy and Eric Bieniemy um, during that stage, and we'll be able to talk to them again only when the Chiefs are finished for the season, which won't be until the Monday after the Super Bowl when the Chiefs either settle for AFC champions or walk away with a the Lombardi trophy. Um, I personally hope there's also been unreported contact with Brian Johnson, Philadelphia's quarterback coach who uh, played quarterback at Utah, coordinated at Utah, Houston, and Florida. Uh, he's somebody that Mike Herndon, who writes uh, a Wednesday column at the site, uh, brought to light last week in his piece. Um, but this is, is much more likely about Nagy and be enemy and certainly what Vrabel's saying there in terms of the time is right. And when opportunity is there certainly sounds like <clears throat> he is expecting to get one of these two guys um, from the chiefs. It's a great staff to be uh, hiring from the enemy, uh, you know, may have called some plays for Andy Reid at some point, but Andy Reid is doing the play calling in Kansas City. So you could call it a lateral move, but it's not a lateral move. It's a promotion. The enemy, uh, you know, has been a head coaching prospect for some time now, but not broken through. Um, it would be big for him to, to come to Nashville, get a chance to call plays, and uh, you know, get that stripe, and uh, and and fill out one of the holes on his uh, resume. Nagy, um, you know, clearly called plays in uh, in Chicago as the head coach, where things did not go well for him as a head coach. Um, but uh, you know, wasn't a wasn't a complete failure as a, as a play caller and um, comes out of, of the Andy Reed tree, which is a nice place to be. And um, would, would bring in the, the fresh thinking um, that, that so many Titans fans and this uh, Titans reporter would like to see. Um, we're looking around the league. There are only two remaining uh head coaching jobs open. Frank Reich's been hired in Carolina. D'Amico Ryans has been hired in Houston. And Sean Payton has been hired in Denver. So of those new hires, you've got two on offense, one on defense. Um, and you've got two openings left, the Colts and the Cardinals. It would be good for the Tennessee Titans if the Colts and the Cardinals hired offensive coaches. 
Now, for the Cardinals, amongst uh, their remaining candidates, Brian Callahan, Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, and you could see why things might be slow for the Cardinals if that was their guy because Callahan uh, just just finished his season. Mike Kafka, the Giants' offensive coordinator, also a guy who's in the mix there. For the Colts, it's hard to be optimistic about them getting an offensive head coach because – uh, the guys who've been called back for second interviews, Raheem Morris, Rams defensive coordinator, Ijero uh, Ivero, Denver's defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator, Rick, Rick Basaccia, uh, special teams um, coordinator for the Packers, who was head coach for uh, Las Vegas after the John Gruden downfall a year ago, and Jeff Saturday. Um, the incumbent uh, interim, who is an offensive-minded guy. Right now, with two jobs unfilled, 16 of the 32 jobs, 16 of the 30 jobs are offensive guys. Andy Reid, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Doug Peterson, Nick Sirianni, Mike McCarthy, Mike McDaniels, Josh, Mike McDaniel, Josh McDaniels, Frank Reich, Zach Taylor, Kevin Stefanski, Arthur Smith, Kevin O'Connell, Brian Dayball. The Titans it would benefit from offensive head coaches who are most likely going to be play callers. Now, they can bring in um, offensive coaches, high-ranking offensive coaches, who then are going to be in the uh, like the enemy and Negi right now candidates to be coordinators elsewhere, but probably not have the power to call plays. Um, if you're a defensive head coach, um, <clears throat> D'Amico Ryan's right now is competition for Mike Vrabel looking for offensive coordinators. And Mike Vrabel is perpetually going to be in this state like he was where Matt LaFleur does well enough to be appealing to the Packers and get a head coaching job, which leaves him looking to find Arthur Smith. And he finds Arthur Smith, and um, and Arthur Smith does well enough to be appealing to the Atlanta Falcons and get the head coaching job. And then he needs to find another offensive coordinator who doesn't do as well with Todd Downing, ends up firing Todd Downing. Now he's looking for another offensive coordinator. If that offensive coordinator does well on Mike Vrabel's staff, he again is going to be looking for a um, an offensive coordinator. And he puts himself potentially, perpetually in this uh, state of needing an offensive coordinator, of always trying to have a second guy on his staff who he could be grooming, like Arthur Smith was groomed, to be brought up to be – um, the next offensive coordinator. Um, and that's a tough position. So the fewer situations there are like that, um, the better. And, you know, Houston might be an attractive place for an offensive coordinator. Um, I didn't mention Tim Kelly, by the way, going back to, to the candidates, but you know, if, Tim Kelly's probably a fallback plan if things don't work out for the guys that we discussed. But D'Amico Ryans is going to be in the market for offensive coordinator, right? Doug Peterson is not in Jacksonville. And you would like for Indianapolis 
to not be, though it looks likely unless uh, and and Jeff Saturday is going to have an offensive coordinator too, but still, offensive head coach um, less likely to get the best kind of offensive coordinators, I think, than a defensive head coach where a guy is going to have some degree of independence on his side of the ball and certainly more power in decision-making on that side of the ball and in play calling. Um, So root for the Colts and the Cardinals to hire offensive head coaches. It would slightly help um, the Titans, not just in this round of hiring an offensive coordinator, but in their, potential perpetual cycle um, if they have success with um, with these offensive coordinators coming on down the line. Uh, one thing about all these coaches who are being hired, not just hired, but interviewed, is how good they all are. If you read the tweets from the NFL Network guys, from Schefter, from anybody at ESPN, from anybody who's breaking anything about any coach who's uh, interviewing, getting hired, um, and these things have wound down now, though the staffs are, are still being filled in. They're all great young minds, um, savvy veterans will add a lot to the staff. There is not a single element in the reporting of these people who are um, candidates or being hired. There's not a single element of critical analysis to any of them. You're not going to read a single thing about a downside to any of these people. Um, these are information dealers who are finding out about these interviews and prospects from their agents. And therefore, the the deal is you're not going to say anything negative about the guy. You're just presenting the information that he's going and probably giving the guy a boost. Um, so they're so pleased to to trade, uh, you know, and make a deal to get the information that we can't get any kind of honest assessment um, <clears throat> about the quality of of the candidate. Um, you know, and I, 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 I'm guilty of it too. I guess that that part comes later. There, Chris Harris is uh, is oh, got a reputation as a good up and coming coach. Um, I don't know anybody who knows him, or I might be able to get a little bit of what the downside of Chris Harris might be. But again, um, I, and we'll find out some of it you know, if and when he lands here and has feet on the ground and and, uh, and we have some time to learn more about him, see him in action um, and find some people who, uh, who maybe worked under him, worked with him uh, behind the scenes, get some off the record kind of stuff. But again, all of this stuff, I'm probably going to hit on this in a lot of off-season uh, podcasts, all of this stuff funnels into the the beauty of the league and how it's all hope, no matter how bad you were in this season. Now, everybody you bring in is shiny clean and filled with hope, overflowing with hope. It's all just hope. Everyone incoming, great. No warts, 
Nothing. You hear Finley out there? Finley is going to time up every one of these podcasts or broadcasts and bark. It's going to be automatic. Um, we know the Titan salary cap situation. They need to cut $23,687,933 in scheduled 2023 salary under the cap by 3 p.m. Central Time on March 15th. Um, the cap number for this season came out on uh, Monday. NFL Network reported it, and uh, everybody matched it. Titans have a relatively easy path to getting uh, that $23 million. They have a relatively easy path to getting forty-five over $45 million. Bud Dupree, uh, well, let's go in order. I mean, Taylor Lewan is highly, highly unlikely to be back. He's got a scheduled salary of $14.84 million uh, and leaves behind no dead money. If and when they cut him, they'll save that $14.84 million clean. Um, Zach Cunningham would be my second guy there. I just don't think Zach Cunningham played very well. I didn't, I didn't think he played with much fire. He, he said at one point while he was out rehabilitating that he was strictly concerned with his rehabilitation and, and didn't didn't really care about meetings and the like, which I didn't think put him in a in a very good light. And I thought he got outplayed by by Dylan Cole and and uh, Jack Gibbons. Even Titans need uh, uh, more than anything um, linebacker who can turn and run and help cover uh, the Travis Kelsey and the lesser tight ends of that ilk around uh, around the league. And Zach Cunningham can't do that. David Long can do that if he's healthy. And David Long doing that um, is is a big issue because he keeps missing games because he can't get his hamstring right. But Zach Cunningham um, can save them almost nine million dollars if they if they walk away from him. Um, Robert Woods, who got no separation, looked like an old old guy, um, <clears throat> wasn't crafty uh, to the degree that we would have expected when they brought him in. Maybe they expect big things from Robert Woods, another year removed from ACL repair, but I would expect a youth movement at wide receiver. Uh, he could save them $12.02 million, um, and they restructured him during the season. That pushed 2.6 into dead money. Um, and Bud Dupree. Uh, Bud Dupree could save them another $9.35 million. If they cut those four guys, you got $45 million. Um, in, in room so that save them the 23.7 that they need plus give them uh, some elbow room there to, to be able to um, do some things but they're going to need to ultimately save more money than that if they're going to bring in some veteran additions uh, to supplement this roster then they'll uh, you know need to meet their rookie cap pool and the like uh, you know Tannehill would would save them around eighteen million dollars while leaving around eighteen million dollars. Um, if they went that direction, I'm not expecting that. And then um, they uh, they could save money. They could redo Bayard, which would save them money. Um, a new contract for Jeffrey Simmons actually, I think, would lower his fifth year option number for for 2023. 
it's a little over ten million dollars. And if they um, if they give him the new deal that I fully expect he'll get, that first year cap number could actually be lower than that, which would save them some money. So that is the financial situation for this team going forward from here. Uh, I'm recording this Wednesday evening, uh, dropping Thursday morning. Friday, uh, after my morning workout, I'm taking a trip to one of my least favorite cities in America, Atlanta, Georgia, to see show number two of Mr. Springsteen's um, tour. So uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know how you are with your, your favorite band. I paid attention to like some of the lists that were coming out of what the E Street Band was rehearsing to get ready for the tour, but I will not pay attention to uh, what goes on, what went on in Tampa Bay on Wednesday night for the show opener. I don't want to see the set list. I don't want to read reviews. I want to go um, to Atlanta relatively blind on this and be surprised to whatever degree I can be blind. This is one of the great joys of my life. So if you're a Springsteen hater, you know, stuff it. Um, this will be my 24th show. And I have discovered a website that is pretty remarkable. It's called my boss time. So you can go there. And if you've got decent records of, uh, of what you've been to, and I, I think I've got everything in line. I'm, I might be missing one show that I saw in the mid nineties, but um, so I, you're able to go, you know, tour by tour and see the list and click the shows that you've been to. And then the catalogs based on those set lists, everything that you've seen. So like I've seen the only performance of a song called sad eyes that was on his uh, 1998 box box set called tracks saw that in atlanta um at phillips arena which is now something else what state farm arena or whatever that i'm going to so i have seen bruce play uh 616 songs live 186 different songs changes up his set lists more than anybody um, so I'm really excited. I know they're going to be, uh, that 186 is going to grow because going to play some songs off the album they put out right around COVID letter to you. Um, so hasn't played that stuff before at anything I've been at. So 186 will grow. Um, 616 will grow. Can't wait going to two more shows later in the tour. The third of which I'll take my family to, and, uh, will be my 13 year old's first show. We're pumping them up for that big family occasion, family trip going to be fantastic. You need to read um, what Mike Herndon wrote at the site this week. He took the four teams that were in uh, the two championship games. So the 49ers and the Eagles, the Bengals and the chiefs and kind of looked at how their teams are constructed what they've invested the most money at position-wise and the least money at um, and how they've drafted in recent years to kind of get a uh, taste of how um, the Titans might figure to do those things. I, th I think the most interesting thing there is, you know, you don't have to draft consistently great to be a Final Four team in the NFL. 
you have to have some big time anchor players uh, out of the draft for sure. It's also very interesting to see how these teams spend money and uh, and where they're heavily invested and where that where they are not. So uh, jump over to paulkowarski.com and check that out for sure. I think you'll be very interested and uh, and pretty surprised at um, those draft hit rates and just uh, how much you can get away with in terms of. Um, missing in the draft and and still be a very very successful team if you've got um you know the right core to uh build around and uh, to, to carry you and i think we know the titans have a couple people that that qualify as that and they they lack a couple people that qualify as that so you're going to want to check that out for sure Rand Carthon also uh, talking at the Senior Bowl this week um, echoed some John Robinson when he talked about what he wants. This again from Jim Wyatt. Carthon said, from a physical attributes standpoint, you want guys that are tough and physical. But more than anything, you want guys that love football. You want guys who are passionate about it, that football is life. And that is what they live for. They live to play this game. So we've covered this pretty extensively during the John Robinson, Mike Vrabel era, this love football. This is uh, the identifying characteristic that the Titans want to live and abide by. Guys who love ball. If this is your number one thing, guys who love ball, you cannot miss very often on guys who love ball. You should not be able to be fooled on identifying guys who love ball. And J-Rob missed, in conjunction with Mike Vrabel, they missed too often on guys uh, who didn't love ball. Kevin Dodd, that was a J-Rob guy. Second-round pick. Didn't love ball. Second-round pick. <clears throat> That's huge value. Vic Beasley, didn't love ball. That was almost a $10 million investment. Was here for what? Half half a season? Not even. Six, six or eight games? Isaiah Wilson, a number one pick who set into motion a chain of events that they still haven't recovered from on the offensive line. Did not love ball. So much so that he played four NFL snaps for the team that drafted him, who then traded him for what? Uh, a swap of seventh round picks. That's not loving ball. Josh Reynolds, key free agent wide receiver that needed to fill a role for this team. Did not love ball. Got cut here. Uh, they called it mutual. It was crucial position. Did not love ball. That's just four examples. There's more on the list. They weren't as important to the franchise. But you know, if if speed is is the thing, the primary characteristic, and it's a characteristic the Titans want more of. Mike Vrabel's talked about this. You you can't misjudge speed. Really? I mean, you've got a, a film to watch to see how a guy is game fast, and you've got a stopwatch on uh, 
on rookies coming out who are going to run at the combine or a pro day, you can't really misjudge speed. There's a little bit more room because the loving ball is a little bit more subjective, a lot more subjective, but you got to get to the root of that. And uh, I, I expect Rand Carthon will do a better job. And I think somehow maybe Robinson, um, if he didn't identify it in these guys, that was a big strike or they took some chances on guys they thought they could bring the love out in. And I think that's a mistake. I think it's like quarterback accuracy. You either have it or you don't. Yes, Josh Allen was an exception, but there aren't too many exceptions in terms of getting more accurate. And I don't think there are going to be many exceptions in growing your love of ball. You either do or you don't. So if that's your mantra, guys who love ball, go find them. And, uh, you know, if you got a guy you're on the fence about in terms of not loving ball, well, that should be probably a disqualifier. Todd Downing's uh, serving a little bit of jail time that comes with the DUI that he got uh, arrested for during the season that uh, caused uh, some big strife in and around the team. All came down uh, right right around the same time that John Robinson was uh, was fired, um, and uh, I just want to use this to, to offer a, a reminder. You know, there there's this group of of fan reporters. Some of them seem cool. Some of them are uh, off off the wall. One of them saw the Downing thing. And, and did this, uh, Todd Downing got arrested again? And then, uh, look, I know particularly the members of my site and plenty of, of Titans fans, particularly the ones who who listen to my podcast, come to my site, follow my, my social media, tend to be on the, the smarter end of this. You can you got to be discerning and differentiate those of us who have access and talk to people and do this stuff for a living and people like that. And I think a lot of you do, but again, um, I'm continually shocked by how many mailbag questions I get or how many comments I get when I have these live chats of people that just lump everything together, you know, one of these people said that uh, John Robinson had clearance to go up to X dollars um, for AJ Brown. Well, maybe he did, but this person has no re repertorial status to say that and be taken at face value. None. Um, so we can't get in the habit of repeating things like that. As I saw a report, when you're talking as if that's, uh, you know, uh, one of us that covers the beat on a regular basis or somebody from ESPN or NFL Network or Fox or, or whatever, don't lump those two things together. At least differentiate some fan said from I saw a report. It's an important distinction. If you're going to blur all of that together, you're really kind of doing a disservice to the very information that you hold so crucial and want so much of well you want to know what's credible and what's not credible so do yourselves a favor and divide the two 
you know, very kind of general I heard, I think kind of damages the, the product and damages your fandom if you don't put like I heard credibly and I heard from some guy who said he heard on the street somewhere. Some guy and somebody who does it for a living. Yeah, I mean, some guy tends now, some guy hears stuff more credibly than he used to because he's got a friend who knows somebody, whatever. He might hear something one time, two times. But please, guys out there saying Todd Downing got arrested a second time when he's serving jail time for his first time. It's, it's nonsense. It's crap. It's unfair. It's stupid. Let's let's get past that kind of stuff. Um, I had one big thought, and I, I was rooting like hell for Cincinnati. I really wanted to see Cincinnati in the, in the Super Bowl, but I will take my Kansas City and Philadelphia and be happy and root hard for the Eagles. And I've got two Eagles fans in my house. But there's too much about Joseph Osai and uh, one play doesn't lose the game. One play did lose the game in this instance. And look, it doesn't take away the, from the fact that Joseph Osai had a really good game for Cincinnati against Kansas City. In 34 snaps, he had five tackles, a tackle for a loss, two quarterback hits, and a pass defended. I'm not saying he didn't do any of that stuff. I'm not saying that for 33 of his 34 snaps, he didn't play a great game. He did. But that doesn't wash away the effect of his really bad snap. And his really bad snap killed his team. Okay? He took uh, – the, the, the Chiefs would have been left if he didn't push uh, – Mahomes with two hands on the out-of-bounds stripe and get an unnecessary roughness for 15 yards, they would have faced a 60-yard field goal with eight seconds left. Now the clock stopped there, but no timeouts, okay? So maybe Mahomes makes a play with eight seconds left and gets them closer. Otherwise, Harrison Butker is left to try a 60-yard field goal at the end of the game, and if he misses, they – go to overtime. I don't understand why we're so anxious to, and look, Osai was emotional and he should have been emotional. He made a terrible, terrible time. Uh, made a terrible, terrible play. And he he's not crying like that because one play doesn't lose the game. He's crying like that because his play enabled Kansas City to win the game with eight seconds left. On, on a field goal that would have been 15 yards further back if he didn't make his stupid play. Why do we have to handle that with kit gloves? Why can't we say he blew it there? I'll say it. He blew it there. That's a game-losing play, okay? Now, he could have, you know, he could have had 10 sacks before that and been phenomenal, and that's great. And you could say, hey, we wouldn't have been in position to be that close without him and all of that. I understand all of that. But in the end, he made a play that gave Kansas City the chance to win the game, which they took advantage of and won the game. So are there other plays earlier in the game 
that could have changed the outcome? Yes. But ultimately, all of that stuff happens, and you get to that moment. And in that moment, at the end of the game, Joseph Osai blew it. He blew it. And he's the one in the crucial moment at the end of the game that made the play that allowed the Chiefs to kick the winning field goal. I, I don't understand why we're so reluctant to say that, why we are so automatically apologetic for the guy and why the nature of the thing is to find reasons not to say. Guy screwed up. It's a really bad play. Feel badly that he made that. He's going to learn from it and everything. But this thing where you've got to to polish it up and make it like he didn't commit a sin that was immensely costly, I just don't get. Tell the truth. Don't 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 make up an excuse there. Is it an accountable sport or not? I want it to be. We know what happened. Let's not let's not pretend otherwise. Hey, paulkoharski.com, great value, $5.99 a month. Lots of good stuff to read. Private chats um, where it's just me and members with you guys asking questions with my dog Ripley barking like crazy in the background. Makes it that much more homey. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. I appreciate you very much. Until next time, see you.